your Bibles and turn to Amos. So I'm not going to 
get into this, but commentators think that this passage of Cornelius here is about nine years after Christ died on the cross and was raised. So nine years. I think that's interesting to me. I've probably read this and I always thought this was a lot closer to the crucifixion. But it's nine years. And so to me that's an interesting concept and I think it's an interesting concept as we go through and we see Peter and we see the New Testament church developing and the changes that had to be made. But it's nine years. Now, the Holy Spirit chose Cornelius here. I think there's a purpose he chose Cornelius. I don't believe Cornelius was being saved And so the, I'm not the judge, but it's, it, this is some very interesting things. Nine years after the cross, nine years after the day of Pentecost, and Cornelius is this devout man that's trying to serve God. And he's giving alms to the Jewish people. In other words, to the poor Jewish people, he was taking care of them. Now, the other thing about this centurion, we always talk about uh, Cornelius being a man of uh, you know, Centurion was over 100 people. They actually said this time during the Roman Empire that Centurions could actually be upward of 400 plus people. It was according whether you were a, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like generals. You have associate uh, adjutant generals and then you have four star generals. And so it sounded like these Centurions could be, you know, you could be more special Centurion than others. So uh, we don't know where he was in this pecking order. But he does describe, you know, it kind of makes me think this is a man that, that commands lots of respect. Uh, he he uh, has obviously many servants that's taking care of him because we see him sending them off. But the key is he's a, he's a man that feared God and prayed to God continually. And I think that's, you know, if I think about, you know, why did God choose him? Because he was of good reputation among the Jews because of his stance and being a religious man. And I also want to point out that best I can tell, this man did not have a creed that he was supposed to be following. He just realized there was a God and he better be worshiping him. And he realized that the Jewish people was God's people. And so notice he's serving God. And now, verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw a vision, an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended to, as a memorial before God. Now dispatch the men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants, a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And so whenever I think of, of Cornelius, and I don't have a personal attendant. And uh, most of us don't, but we read in the Gilded Age where, you know, people had, that's all they did was get you dressed and do whatever. But it sounds like Cornelius had a personal attendant. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so uh, 
First thing, you know, one of the things here, notice Cornelius, it's being accredited his praying and him continually praying to God. He was seeking to find God, I think. But also, look how he acted. He acted immediately. Whenever he was told, he sent. He pulled his two people together and he sent them to Joppa. Now, Caesarea and Joppa, they're about 40 miles apart. So they're not very far apart. They're, they're, uh, and we see this in the time frame that whenever Peter arrives, he said four days ago, uh, I saw this vision. And so best, best I could tell is that Peter, I mean, uh, Cornelius had the vision he brought his people in. He told them what to do. And then the next day, they started on a journey. Now, I don't know if they started that day. It's a, it's a little bit. I probably could figure that out if I kind of look at it a little bit more. But I think the next day, because there's four days in between. And so I think it was a, a day and a partial day journey that you would make that trip to them. And so he gets his people going. Now, what kind of got me intrigued with this whole story here is, is this next part. We have God impacting Cornelius 40 miles away. And two days later, we have the Spirit impacting Peter. It's a coordinated effort. To me, that's interesting. Now, I don't know about you, but coordination and getting everybody on the right page at the right time and getting the right thoughts is pretty key. But we see that this, this is being coordinated. God's orchestrating something here. The Holy Spirit is orchestrating something here. Uh, and that's kind of what got me intrigued with this kind of the physical application here, not as much as the doctrine. And I want to point out the doctrine as we go through. But the point is, is, is here you have Cornelius, a devout Christian, and God's going to use Cornelius to change the world. He's going to use Cornelius to change the world because uh, as, as we just heard about how many people in the world there's only a couple of million Jews. There's not many. The rest of us are Gentiles. Remember, either you're a Jew or a Gentile. So, he's changing the world. The Holy Spirit is using praise. Verse 9, on the next day, as they were on their way, approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up and, a, and an object like a sheet, great sheet coming down lowered by the four corners of the ground. And, and there were in all, in all kinds of four-footed animals, crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him the second time, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. 
This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in the mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius have asked directions to Simon's house and appeared at the gate. Now, the way I read this is Peter fell into this trance, and, and so these, these gentlemen from, uh, from Caesarea, from Cornelius' house, his servants, they're showing up and Peter's coming out of this vision at the same time. Do you see the coordination? Do you see God's hand in this? And, and so, so here's the other interesting thing. Notice verse 17. Now while Peter uh, while Peter was greatly perplexed in his mind, they didn't give him all the information. Hi. Are we trying to trick somebody here? I don't know what that means. But it's, it's, it's stated. But I think what it is, is I think the Holy Spirit, God is saying, you need to do some mental gymnastics in what I'm doing here. You need to be given some consideration. We'll see that later on. But I want you to point out, I want to point out that they didn't, he didn't reveal. He just said, everything is clean. I've made everything holy. You can eat anything. And Peter was a devout Jew. He said, hey, I've never done this before. But he's perplexed. Why was this coming? And the people come to the gate. Read on verse 18. And calling out, they asked where the Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. So while Peter was reflecting on the vision... He's trying to figure out, well, what does this mean? The three men. Now, the Spirit did tell him to go with them. But he still, I, I still don't perceive he knows his purpose. Now, in this two-day journey back to um, Caesarea, I believe, you know, I can, I can imagine how I do things. I don't know this, but I would probably think as they're walking along and whenever they're not discussing things, getting to know each other, you can imagine Peter sitting here still thinking about this vision and he's sitting here thinking, well, what's my purpose here? What's going on here? And so I think, you know, so, but he wasn't given that. And so my point here is I think God expects us to think. We need to be reasoning as he did for Peter here. Starting in verse 20, again in verse 21, Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by the holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them and he gave them lodging. Uh, 
And so they, they drive, they go back, two days travel there. Um, you know, we're not told if they got on, you know, I think they're walking is, is my personal opinion. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them, and, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now, we're going to read later on that there's six people that accompanied him. And on the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Notice what the centurion had done. He understood it's a two-day journey down there, it's a two-day journey back. Um, and so uh, he understood that. He was prepared. He had brought people together to listen to, uh, to what Peter was going to bring. He understood this is a man of faith. This is this. Think about that. He's already brought people together. Whenever Peter gets there, they're there. His relatives and his close friends. Sandra, can you go out and answer that, please? When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. Now, Cornelius is a devout man that's trying to serve God. We see that. He's a righteous. He's stated that he's a righteous man, but now he's he's falling at Peter's feet. And that kind of made me scratch my head, and I was kind of thinking, well, you know, I wonder why he did that. Now, if you look, you know, we already described it's a two-day journey, and we know how things can travel. We don't even need the, the internet today for for information to travel fast, right? For the ones of us a little older, you know, bad news travels fast. And, you know, good news, I mean, amazing things travel fast. If you look back, we're not going to read all of this, but if you look back at Acts 9, 32 through 43, you see Peter coming down, and in Lydda, he, he heals a lame man that's been paralyzed for many years, uh, from his youth, I think. Uh, eight years, excuse me. So he heals this man. And then also, he raises Dorcas, Tabitha, from the dead. So you have two amazing miracles that occur within about a two-day journey from Caesarea. So whenever he's called, you, you know, I don't know this, but I just think it's interesting that you might could see why the centurion falls down and worships Peter because of the miracles that have occurred in the previous chapter. So all of this, because he talks about it, he goes to the Tanner's house, so all this at the same time. And then we see Peter raised him up and saying, Stand up, I too am a just man. And so note that Peter, the apostle, Peter, the guy that stood up on the day of Pentecost nine years earlier that said, you're the one that crucified him, is saying, I'm just a man too. And he's pointing to Christ. And I think that's important that we see Peter doing that. So we see all these nuances in this story. And as, we, and as he talked with him, verse 27 he entered and found many people assembled. And so, so you can see that Cornelius probably met him outside. 
he bows down. Peter establishes the playing rules. Hey, we're all men here. We're just the same. I was sent to you. Uh, and so, uh, but we see the centurion moving down this progression. Verse 28, uh, and, and it goes to show you this paradigm shift. And this paradigm shift, he says, and he said to them, you yourself know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call uh, any man unholy or unclean. We're not told that Peter figured out his purpose. So within two days, Peter has figured out his purpose. He's figured out what that vision means. Because we're, he's, he was perplexed what the vision meant two days earlier, right? And now he sees it. You know, I, I, I wonder, you know, was, was Peter playing fantasy legions all the way from Joppa to, to Caesarea? That's a play on fantasy football. I don't think he was. I think he was sitting there thinking about God's word and his purpose and what he was supposed to be doing. And I want you to make sure you understand for a Jew to go in and eat with a centurion and a Gentile, this is the worst thing you could do. I don't even think in our society today I could come up with an example and tell you what that is. I can't compare it. I, I was sitting around trying to think, okay, what, 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 could I, you know, what could I apply that to? The United States is such a melting pot. We wouldn't even... These were unclean people. And for nine years, Peter was preaching the gospel to the Jews. And with one vision, he realizes something's got to change. Had Peter known the whole truth at this time? I don't think he did. Now, I think he knew it was going to go to the Gentiles, but he hadn't been doing it. And so he's being sent there. Uh, verse 29. What is That is why I came without even raising any objections when I was sent uh, <coughs> Sent for. So I ask, what reason you have sent for me? Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. Behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send, send to Joppa to invite Simon, who also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying in the house. So this is kind of repeating. So you, you see here he's He's repeating and he's trusted and he's obeyed God. Uh, and in verse 33, so I sent for you immediately and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius had prepared his friends. He prepared himself. We're here to hear. Cornelius didn't tell Peter. So let me tell you what I think God was trying to say. 
No. He said, we are prepared. We're ready to hear what the Lord has commanded for us. Do you think? So this is a man that's commanding lots of people. He doesn't take many commands. Do we see that? This is a man. But as you see, Cornelius, he's somebody that's humbled himself. And he's sitting here saying, all you have been commanded by the Lord. We are here, we're present, and we're ready, we're prepared. He's prepared. Now, I'm imagining there's a lot of people in this room. So, I'm kind of thinking he's prepared food, he's thought about what he's doing this day. Think about what he's done. I can feel the excitement. Can you feel the excitement in his heart? I have been trying to serve the Lord all these days, and, and, and now he's appeared to me, and I'm going to be here what I'm supposed to be doing. It's going to come to me. So you can kind of feel this excitement that, that, that this centurion has. Um, verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. And guys, we use this passage all the time. And as Christians, we cannot show partiality. I mean, that, this, this is... This is laid out for us. You can't, we don't call people. If they're Portuguese, we get an interpreter and we teach them the gospel. If they're Chinese, we teach them the gospel. It doesn't matter. We teach the gospel to any nation, any race, anybody. We are told to teach the gospel. God is not uh, partial. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And notice what he said. Anybody that fears him and does what is right. The word in verse 36, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is the, he is the Lord of all. You yourself know the things which took place throughout all Judea starting with Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. Did Peter preach this and explain the centurion to actually have noticed some things? Yes. He says, the word of you yourself know the things which took place throughout all Judea. So I think the, the centurion knew some things. And I think he was expected to know things. I think he was paying attention to the Jewish nation. He, he knew what had occurred. You, in verse 38, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with the power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did both in the land of the Jews and in the Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on the cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted him to be become visible. Not to all people, but to the witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him and after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one who has been uh, appointed by God as judge of the living God. Now I want you to notice here, number one, Cornelius has sent for Peter. Peter starts to let, you saw these things happen. So he's starting there. And notice that he preaches the, the, the death, the resurrection of Christ. 
He, he didn't start out with, you know, Rome is a great place and we're glad you centurions are here. He said, you've seen these things happen and this is what, you know, this is what happened. And I think it's interesting that, you know, God didn't choose for everybody to see Christ. I, I, I know, he, you know, 500 at one time did see but at the end of the day, it was the ones that were chosen, and that's what Peter is preaching here. And so the death, burial, and resurrection have been taught. And verse 43, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. This is a God, so Peter's preaching, this God, this Jesus, was here before time. The prophets all spoke of him. So you see how Christ is there forever and he brings that in. I think that's very important because we see men that's come and they say there's some great something but nobody's predicted them. But it's been predicted throughout time as we went through Amos. Uh, and so he is the God of all time as was stated earlier in, in today's uh, at the Lord's table. While Peter was, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of those who listened to the message. All circumcised believers came to Peter and were amazed uh, all because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out to the Gentiles. For you, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water of these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. And he ordered them to be baptized. And so we use this as a very doctrinal lesson that here the heathen, heathen Gentiles have, have received the Holy Spirit. So why, what, what's going to keep them from being saved? I think God was very purposeful in who he chose. I think we can see that in the story here. I think it's, it's one of those things that this is a major sea change in the gospel. This is a major sea change that just occurred in chapter 10. And then... Let's go on because this is where we are, folks. This is, this, is, this is us Christians. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. And so they cheered and was happy about that. That's not what it says. Verse 2, And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them? The Jewish brethren had been preaching the gospel. These are Christians. These are not, these are not the Pharisees. We're, we're not talking about. This is the church. They jumped to a conclusion. But that's their paradigm. And to me, that's, that's something key. Are we looking? Don't, don't look out there. Don't look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees that crucified Christ. Are we looking at ourselves and we have pre-notions of what we think we're supposed to be doing? And so these people were rebuking, taking issue with Peter. And so, uh, but Peter began speaking and, and proceeded to explain to them in an orderly sequence saying, I was in the city of Joppa, I saw the vision. He goes, he goes through, uh, you know, the three times the unclean animals come down. Uh, and so 
God was setting this new standard. So he's telling that, verse 11, and behold, at that moment, three men appeared. He said, after the vision, he, he's retelling what we just read in chapter 10. And uh, the Spirit told me to go with them without misgiving. These six brethren also went with me and entered that man's house. Now, I don't know if the, the Spirit told him to take six men with him, but Peter took six people with him. He took witnesses. Do you notice how the Holy Spirit's not laying everything out that is upon us to manage some of this? He gave us from point A to point D, and we got to figure out B and, uh, B and C. And so he took brethren with him, and, and uh, verse 13, and he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa. Um, and... And then he talks about verse 15, I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as, the, uh, just as us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized the water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the day of Pentecost and also here at Cornelius' household. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as we gave us also after believing the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I would stand in God's way? Look at the sea change from verse 2 to verse 18. And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. The New Testament church went through a change here in 10 and 11. And to me, what's interesting to me, and if I've interpreted this right, I'm sure there's going to be some people that's going to help me. <laughs> I don't see it all being given to them. They had to reason through it. But the point is, he didn't send the Holy Spirit to Jerusalem to change everybody's mind there. He sent Peter, and he sent six men, and they were to go do that. I'm always reminded of Elisha, and, and I meant to write this passage down in, in Kings, uh, where he took his servant up on the wall and his eyes were open and he says, hey, there's more of us than of them. I, I, I think of this passage now and I think of that verse. God's out there working. We have the scriptures today. We don't have to worry about the Holy Spirit. We have the scriptures. The scriptures have been given to us. These examples have been given to us. We just got to read and we got to study. And we got to be like the, the, the brethren in Jerusalem. Whenever we hear it, we got to get rid of our preconceived ideas. Because the Jews now have the repentance of life. That leads to life. Um, and they complied immediately and they rejoiced and all good things happened. Now, guess what? Problem solved. All Gentiles are now accepted in the church because we have this. Well, just four chapters over, we've got Paul and Barnabas coming to Jerusalem with the same problem. And so in chapter 15, if you look over there, 
you, and since we're running out of time, you see Paul and, and Barnabas bringing this same problem up. And we see Peter in verse 7, chapter Acts 15, verse 7. He says, he says there, and there had been much debate. Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows their heart, testified to them, giving them Holy Spirit, just as he also did us. And he made no distinction between us and them in cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke, which is neither our fathers nor have we been able to bear? So this same Peter... is now bringing this back up. It's 10 years after. I didn't, did I say that? I don't, I don't know if I said that. It's 10 years after. Verse chapter 15 is about 10 years after uh, chapter 10 and 11. So there's 10 years there. 39 AD is where we see chapter 10. 49 AD according to the commentators and, and how they think that, that, that arranges. And so you have Paul and Barnabas and so uh, that's, that's restated there. Now, I'm going to point out before I close the lesson, if you go, go to Galatians, the second chapter, Paul rebukes, in verses 11 through 15, Paul rebuke, rebukes Peter for, not, for moving away from Gentile brethren. Now, I went back and tried to score this one too by timing, and the commentators wouldn't score that one clearly. Uh, but they think it was after the council in Jerusalem, and they think it was after uh, Peter stood up and made his defense. My point is, we all need to be corrected at times. We all, this is Peter. Peter is the guy that brought the gospel to the, to the Gentiles for God. And so Paul in Galatians 2, verse 11, rebukes Peter for not eating with the Gentiles. So do we all get off course sometimes? And I'm gonna I'm gonna just say it's it's over ten years. It's gotta be fifteen. I think it's gotta be a little longer than that. But the whole point is in time we all can make mistakes and we all gotta be corrected. Um so in summary, number one, you see baptism here. Number two, you see God's spirit working to make a sea change, but he doesn't give all the answers. He expects them to figure it out. And once he makes that, he uses people to send the message. It's up to you and I to listen to that message. Now, it's not me that you should be listening to. I have read the scriptures today. I think you should go back and test what I said today. You should be reading the scriptures and understanding the scriptures. And I want to tell you a story that happened to me yesterday. Our brother, Daniel Thomas, who was in prison out here, I've been visiting him for three years. And my first visit was, we talked about many things that I had no interest in. 
And Sandra did a great job of talking that kind of stuff. But I probably got 10% of that conversation on scriptures. In three years, 90% of our conversation now is on scriptures. And he has realized, and he's a very humble man, and he made a mistake. There's no, he'll tell you what it is, and I won't tell you what it is. He can tell you. But he has confessed his sins. He realizes he's now reading the scriptures and saying, we went to church, but we wasn't. We were not dedicated. And yesterday he got tears in his eyes describing his childhood and really realizing we were playing church. Do you think the centurion was playing church? Or do you think he was serious about it? And I tell you that story because it, it was so encouraging to me. Because I told him, I said, I know where you're at. I'm trying to correct some things in my life. We're all there. We're all in the process of growing. And don't get down. So anyway, there's a lot of different things here. There's no, you know, God doesn't show partiality. I hope the lesson's been good. It's a different, I, I think it was a different perspective on the centurion and the Holy Spirit. I didn't get into the Holy Spirit baptism. That was not my purpose here today. The point is, if we want to be saved, and we're showing the dedication, and we're striving for that, and I want to be saved. I want my family to be saved. I want my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren to know the gospel. But that's only going to happen if we're like the centurion. Before we know it, we're seeking it. Are we seeking God with all our heart and all our mind? Will God hear our prayers? Does He see us seeking? He saw the centurion, and he used the centurion. And I, I, you know, I know I'm going on. Would you pick a military leader of the Roman army? They were cruel. Would you pick them to be your first Gentile? I don't know. I don't think I would. We don't read anything else about the centurion. Do we read anything else about the centurion? Mine and your salvation starts with this man, and we don't read anything else about him. Are we seeking God with all our heart and all our mind? Do we fear God? And folks, that's what it's going to take for us to If anybody here needs to obey the gospel, anyone here needs to repent of sin, we all sin and fall short. We always offer this time. We need to pray for eternity. Please come as we stand and sing.